you always print the Bible passage at the top of your sermon just for these moments. Okay, we're reading uh, today from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Uh, If you want to follow it, do get your phones out, grab a Bible. We do have some real-life paper Bibles that we're able to use now as well. And we're just going to read this passage together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Amen. Boxer Joe Lewis once said this, it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, so long as you have money. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, as long as you have money. Uh, ridiculous statement, really, isn't it? But it pretty much epitomizes how our society, in fact, how the whole world works, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, but you really do have to have some money because the world works on money. And from, we, from what we know about the Corinthian Christians, um, They're people that we don't really know whether they've got money or not, whether they're rich or poor, but they're definitely like people from Yorkshire. Um, I know this because I am from Yorkshire, and Yorkshire people are renowned for being reluctant to part with our cash. Um, And so maybe the Corinthian Christians were a bit like that because they were reluctant to part with their cash. And so this section of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church is basically an encouragement to them to be generous givers and to help out the church in Jerusalem who are strapped for cash. And Paul does this by telling them a story, a story, if you have the uh, scripture open or it's going to come up on the screen, a story about the church in Macedonia, the, the Christians that meet together in Macedonia. He says this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, that's his way of saying, I'm about to tell you a story. I want you to know. I want you to know of the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. I want you to know their story, Paul says. 
And then I want it to inspire you and I want it to motivate you how despite the incredible trials that they're going through, we don't know what those are, but it, it sounds like they're having a really, really tough time. And the poverty that they've been experiencing, I want you to know the story of how their joy and their love for Jesus is just spilling over into incredible generosity. As soon as I read these first few verses of this passage in 2 Corinthians 8, and how Paul describes the Christians in Macedonia, it made me think immediately of the church and the Christians in Ukraine, and how despite them facing incredible, unimaginable pressures, danger on an hourly basis, when all they have and all they know is being stripped away, how there are stories coming out of Ukraine. You know, they're on my news feeds and on emails that I'm receiving and on our news on a daily basis about how they are living out and loving out the good news of Jesus, how they've experienced the grace of Jesus for themselves. And so now uh, they're putting their lives at risk to take aid to other Ukrainian people in their communities how they're on the street, as we can see on the screen here, on their knees, praying for peace, praying for their neighbors, praying for a breakthrough, how they're putting their trust in Jesus and stepping out and actually sharing the good news, even amongst the bombardment that they're experiencing. You might have seen uh, going around the internet today, there was this statement when you go to church this Sunday and you feel the old temptation to point out what's wrong with the place, the coffee's lukewarm, if we had it. Uh, the coffee's lukewarm, the lights are too bright, the temperature is wrong, the music is too loud, and of course you don't know the songs. Remember in that moment, there's a Ukrainian church gathering in a, in a subway tunnel to worship while bombs blast overhead. No co coffee, no instrument A-list, no leader pushing them to worship. They're down there in real time and in real life, worshiping the king above kings as their world is crumbling down around them. What a powerful reminder of what some Christians face today. And, and it gives us a taste perhaps of what the Macedonian Christians had gone, to, gone through. The Ukrainian Christians and these Macedonian Christians as well, they're living out the love and grace of Jesus under unimaginable circumstances. I just can't get my head around it. But they inspire us. They inspire us to pray. They inspire us to examine our own priorities and motivations. But they also should inspire us to action. And so let's unpack a little further this story of the Macedonian church that's being told here by Paul in 2 Corinthians and see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to each of us tonight. There's three things I'm going to draw out. Firstly, it's clear that giving and generosity is a spiritual activity. It's all about grace. In this whole passage, Paul just bangs on about grace. First one, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
The Christians in Macedonia have experienced God's grace for themselves. That means grace. Uh, they, that means that they've experienced the forgiveness of Christ in their lives. They know of his incredible love. They've grasped the new life that they have in Jesus. They're holding on to the promise and the hope of eternal life. That's what grace is, all the riches that God wants to pour on us and has made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. They have experienced and received this grace. But grace is not what just God what not just what God does in us, but also what God does through us as Christians. It's not just what God gives us and does in us, but grace is what God does through the church, through Christians. And that is what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians. The grace that they have experienced is just like exploding out of them into this extraordinary, generous living. Now, I love fizz of the alcoholic variety. I love Carver, Prosecco, Champagne, I'm not really bothered, any of them will do. But have you ever tried to stop the flow of fizz pouring out of the top of a bottle uh, if the bottle has exploded uh, like in this picture here. You know, as hard as you try to stop the flow, you know, you can put your hand over the top and it all like spurts out all over through the sides, through your fingers. You might even try and grab the cork. This is impossible. And try and jam it on again. Don't bother. You must be desperate to do that. Um, the force of the carbon dioxide in the bottle uh, trapped inside that bottle just keeps forcing the fizz out of the bottle. I wonder if that's what it feels like for the Macedonian Christians. They're so full of the love of Jesus. They've experienced his grace so real in their lives. They're so blessed by him. Their lives are so surrendered to him that his love and his grace is just pouring out of them to those around them in these generous acts of giving. It's like unstoppable grace. It can't be jammed in. Our giving and our generosity should be the same. It should flow from our hearts that are surrendered to Jesus. It should be un an unstoppable act of worship. I wonder if some of us need to really get our heads around this tonight. Giving, being generous with our time, our talents, our money, is an act of worship. As much as gathering together and singing the songs we've been singing tonight and praying are acts of worship, giving is also an act of worship. It's the way we are responding to God's grace, to what he has done in our lives. Sometimes our response makes us just like stand here and worship him. And sometimes it makes us fall on our knees and sometimes it makes us act in different ways. Sometimes it makes us put on a, a, a funny hat and a jacket and go out on the streets of Edinburgh until five o'clock on a Friday, on a Saturday morning. 
And sometimes it causes us to act with generosity and give. And that's why we need to not just do it, but because it's an act of worship. Paul says here in verse 7, we need to excel in it. We need to do it like full-on, big-style, champagne-cork-popping ways. It says this, Since you excel in everything, in faith and speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, they're pretty amazing people, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Maybe for some of us, we've given God our hearts. We've given him our lives. But our belongings, our stuff, our money, maybe our time, well, we struggle to let go of that stuff. And sometimes that can be for a really good reason. It's not necessarily that you find that a struggle because you're a bad person and you're holding on to it. It might be something to do with the background and how you were brought up. It might be something to do with insecurities that you hold or anxieties that you have. Maybe you just struggle to see that everything you have belongs to God. And maybe if this is an area that you're thinking, yeah, I struggle with this. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to unlock that part of your heart, to free you and to help you to see that everything that you have actually belongs to him in the first place. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to to activate, if you like, the grace of giving in your life, to trust him for your money, your finances, like you do with everything else. Giving is a spiritual act. It's worship. And secondly, we see here that giving is sacrificial. It's often sacrificial. You know, the Macedonian church are facing, it says, real poverty. And they're also facing persecution. Yet their giving is rich in generosity. You know, you might have thought, well, if they were really poor, they should be the ones receiving Their poverty didn't stop them giving. Paul writes this, verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, they gave as much as they were able, and then just kept on giving, entirely on their own. We didn't have to twist their arm. And they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. I wonder if your response to this chat that we're having about giving is something like, well, you know, I've got no money, so I've got nothing to give. When I start earning, then I'll give. Or, uh, you know, when I get my savings back up to a level that's more acceptable, I will give then. Or when I actually have something left at the end of the month, Libby, then I'll be able to give. Or when I'm not living on my student loan, then I'll give. Or when I've saved for the holiday I'm saving up for, then I'll give. One piece of advice, this was given to me when I was a student. Don't wait until you have a healthy bank balance to start giving, because that day will never come. 
because you'll always need something more. You'll always want something more. There'll always be a reason. You know, even if you have five pounds a week, you can start to give. It might only be like 40p or 20p or 50p, whatever God prompts you to give. When she was about seven years old, Alice, my daughter, and I have asked her to tell this, that I can tell this story. Alice, my daughter, she came down to breakfast uh, before school and she was carrying her money box uh, and she emptied this money box onto the table and started to count out, like children do, you know, a little stack of five pences, a little stack of 10 pences, a little stack of 20 pences. Uh, and I was sat there thinking, Alice, what are you doing? You know, you should be getting ready for school and you're counting your riches. Anyway, uh, Alice had £4.80 that she had actually spent ages saving. Uh, and when she'd finished counting the cash, she turned to me and said, oh, mom, can I have 20p? Uh, because I want five pounds. And I said, well, okay, you can have 20p, because uh, she wanted to make it up for five pounds. And can I have an envelope? Uh, and I was thinking, but why don't you just stick it all back in the money box? Why do you need an envelope? And so I asked her why she needed an envelope and why she wasn't going to just stick it all back in the money box. And she said, well, Miss Coleman, who was her teacher when she was seven years old, had been telling them how she was leaving uh, teaching a, a few weeks later because she was actually going off to Madagascar, which is one of the poorest uh, countries in the world, just off the coast of Africa. And she was going there to uh, teach the children of missionary doctors who were serving in Madagascar. And she'd been telling her class all about what she was going to be doing in Madagascar and how in Madagascar, Madagascar, you can live on five pounds a week. That's all you need to live for that week. Alice knew that to Miss Coleman, this five pounds would give her enough to live for a week. And so she took her money into school with a little note on saying, here's enough money for a week for you to live in Madagascar, love Alice, and gave her money to Miss Coleman. To all intents and purposes, she gave Miss Coleman all that she had. One day, Jesus was in the temple courts, and he saw many rich people putting large amounts of money into the temple treasury. But then someone else caught his eye. It was an old woman dressed in the clothes of a widow. And she went up to the place where all the people were putting in their gifts, their offerings in the temple. And as she shuffled up, she just took out two copper coins and popped them in to the basket. She gave all that she had. Jesus knew that while the other people had given from their wealth, they had loads more where that came from. The widow gave from her poverty she gave all that she had. And when our heart is after Jesus, when we've experienced his grace, we give willingly from what we have, not from what we have left. We give willingly from what we have, not from what we have left. I wonder if you notice how uh, no one urged the Macedonian Christians to give. They just did it, verse 3 tells us. 
just entirely on their own, not under compulsion, not because they've been persuaded to do so, but willingly and grace-filled. I think this is when sort of planning and organizing our money uh, and our giving comes in really handy. Even if your income fluctuates from month to month or week to week, we can do some form of planning or budgeting and decide as part of that what to give. Now, the best way I found to do this, there are lots of other ways, is to make sure that as soon as my money comes into my bank account, and I've done this since I had a student loan, which was the first money I ever really had, um, is to make sure that as soon as the money came into my bank account each month, uh, the money that I'm going to give away uh, to the church and to a few other places goes out straight away. So I never have it. It's just God's. I never see it. I never can put my hands on it. I can never spend it on something else like fizz or something else more important than that. I never have it. It's just God's. Some people do the practice of tithing. So that's quite a good principle if you're going to start giving for the first time. It's about giving 10% of what you earn. Some people give more than that as well. Uh, What I do is I give that chunk of money and then I have this other bank account where some other money goes into it and it's my frivolous giving account. That's my favorite one actually. The other stuff is just, you know, it just goes. But this is why a pot of money builds up and then I can give it to like the MICA fund or uh, to someone I hear about that's in need or I can um, give to a disaster appeal or to a friend that's got a Just Giving page because they're doing some crazy 10 marathons in a month or something, whatever. But I plan how I want to give. Otherwise, it just won't happen. And then let your giving be willing and sacrificial. So second thing, give willingly and sacrificially. And then thirdly and lastly, giving is an act of love for the whole church. It's about us coming together in solidarity. It's what we do the MICA fund for. It's about coming together and bringing our five pounds and our 10 pounds and our 100 pounds and our 1,000 pounds and bringing them together and then using that money as an act of love to the church and to the world. My mum, she died two years ago. And she was an incredibly generous person. She loved Jesus and she loved the church. And I have so many stories about her generosity, I could bore you with them all. But what I remember really starkly was when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And by then, my mum was a single parent. And we were living, and had been for a while, living off benefits from the government. If you've ever lived off benefits with three children, it is really, really tough. And things were really financially tight in our family. We were living hand to mouth. You know, we'd get the electricity bill and have no money to pay it. Uh, My mum had to go to the market and get the, like... um, Cornish pasties, which were the seconds and things like that. Uh, And that was fine. And yet one day, mum discovered uh, that uh, that a friend of ours who was a youth worker in another church, he'd uh, he'd saved up for ages to buy a motorbike to be able to do his job. But he had no money to buy anything but a helmet to protect him on this motorbike. And my mum was really anti-motorbikes. 
forever. Her whole life, she thought they were complete death traps. And so she announced that she was going to buy this guy a set of leathers to protect him on his motorbike so he could do his work as a youth worker in this other church. There was one massive problem. At the end of every month, we had zero or minus money. So she had no money to be able to buy these uh, leathers. But about the same time that she decided she was going to do this, our church said, oh, we need somebody to clean the church. Three hours a week, five pounds an hour. That's 15 pounds in case you're mathematically challenged like me. Um, And so she had to, uh, she decided she was going to go for this job to clean the church because when we were on benefits, you were allowed to earn 15 pounds a week on top of the benefits that you got. And so for months and months and months, my mum cleaned the church every week and got her 15 pound in cash pay packet and she saved it up for months and months and months until she had enough money to give to this guy so that he could buy his bike leathers. That's how she loved the church. I thought she was completely bonkers. I'm thinking, we're absolutely skin. I'm skin, mom. And she's there saving up her money to give away to buy this guy bike leather so that he could do his ministry, for goodness sake. But it struck me how amazing that was. And it changed my attitude to generosity and to giving. Mom gave sacrificially out of love for the whole church. Your giving could be your time. It could be your skills. It could be helping at church or maybe being a street pastor, whatever. Verse 4 says, Paul tells tells us that the Macedonian Christians, despite their incredible poverty, desperately wanted to give so that they could, it says, share in the service of the Lord's people. And then verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. They gave as an act of love because they knew that by giving to the church in Jerusalem, they'd never met them. They had no film to see to tell them what was going on. But they were just Christians who needed something. And they knew it would not just be a massive encouragement to the church there, but it was also enable the grace of God that they'd experienced to be shared with others. And so when we give to the church, to all intents and purposes, we're investing our money and our time and our prayers in the kingdom of God. And that's why at P's and G's, we ask people who call this church their home to commit to do three things, to pray and to serve and to give. We had a Pray, Serve, Give Sunday a few weeks ago. And those three things go together, don't they? We're called to pray for the church, to serve the church, and to give to the church. And people often look at at churches like P's and G's, and they say, oh, but you're a really rich church. And we go, no, we're really not a church. In fact, we're running a £10,000 a month deficit against budget. That is not a rich church, but we are a generous church. And we want everyone who calls this church home to join in with that generosity, to be able to experience the grace of God and then step out 
in grace as well by being generous. Grace is itself, in itself, a bonkers reality. It's a free gift. We don't deserve it. And so we feel called as a church to give away, even when we're strapped for cash. The whole mica thing is completely bonkers at the moment. We're short of cash and we're saying, hey, give us some money because we're going to give away. We give away 26% of what we receive as a church to the MICA fund, to other mission partners, to other charities and organizations as well. But it's amazing because we get to participate as a church in this wonderful cycle of giving and receiving and sharing and being generous. And so I wonder as we finish, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about tonight? Do we need to respond in generosity to the grace that we've received already from God? Do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to unlock your heart, like I was saying earlier, so that you can join in this grace of generosity? Do we need to start to give or continue to give perhaps more sacrificially, not from our wealth, but from our poverty? And do we need to be reminded that we do all of this simply as an act of love, not for our own benefit or to benefit those nearest us, but for an act of love to the whole of God's creation and the whole of his church? Should we stand together and we're going to pray and respond and then respond, carry on responding in worship. But as we stand, I want us to be aware, sometimes you get a sense that the Holy Spirit might be just niggling you about something. There might be a verse that particularly resonated with you or, or one of those challenges at the end that just struck with you. Just claim it now, sort of name it in your head And ask the Holy Spirit to just continue to help you uh, to work whatever it is through. It might be you need to go away and think some more or pray into something. So let's just hold a moment of quiet to just uh, grab that thing that God might be speaking to you about tonight. Holy Spirit, we only know a small amount of the love and the grace that you have for each each of us. Some of us have been following you for years, but there's so much more to know of your love. There's so much more to experience of your grace. There's so much more to know of the forgiveness that you have for us and the new life that you call us into. God, help us to pursue you. And then to respond in in extravagant praise for all that you are and all that you've done for us. Lord, you are mighty and you are wonderful and you are generous and you give us so many good things. 
warm our hearts and help us to be people who don't just receive grace, but also give it in whatever way you're challenging us to do that. Lord, we want to love you, we want to love your world, and we want to love your church. And so as individuals and together, help us to be able to do that in a way that is powerful and sacrificial, that speaks of what you've done in our lives and brings change to other people's lives. And so we praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen.